Welcome to Medicus, a student-run podcast about any and all things in the world of medicine. Follow along as we interview outstanding individuals about important topics in healthcare. Hey guys, welcome back to Medicus. Today in our fourth year series, we're sitting down with Kendall Frizzoli, who is about to be a graduate in just a few short days from Loyola Stritch School of Medicine and is pursuing family medicine. To learn a little bit more about you, Kendall, can you just introduce yourself taking our guests through your journey to medicine? Yeah, of course. Well, first off, Rasa, thank you so much for having me. I get excited actually talking about, you know, the path to medicine reminds you, I think, why you're in it. It makes you just happy and joyful. And so I, yeah, my name is Kendall Frizzoli. I'm from Southern California. My parents still live there and I will be going back. Chicago has been amazing. Been here for the past, you know, four years for med school. But, you know, you learn some things about yourself when you are in a time period that is pretty challenging. Mm -hmm. And my wellness definitely stems from being able to be outside year round. So that being said, as much as I love Chicago for the music, the people, the food, I got to get back to California for the weather. But yeah, basically, it was in undergrad, actually, where I figured out that I wanted to do medicine. I never really knew there's no healthcare in my family. Um, my dad would be just as happy if I worked for his window and door company. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I was playing volleyball in college for my first two years. And I through some of my own health struggles, some definitely, you know, mental health issues and physical, I I definitely realized that I wasn't happy and something Mm -hmm. needed to change and that I don't think I was supposed to be the town athlete that I always was, you know, in the future. And so through just doing my normal, like volunteering in elementary schools and service and starting to kind of tap into the medical side with mm-hmm. my own injuries and seeing it and then starting to shadow and all of that, I was like, all right, it's medicine. So I ended up quitting volleyball and focused on school the last two years. And then med school happened. Unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, uh, It's good. And then now, you know, family medicine is going to be my next step for residency back in Southern California, specifically at Long Beach Memorial. That's amazing. So did you go straight in from undergrad? You didn't take any time off? Great question. I, I feel like I thought I was taking time off by taking off one year. So I had my one gap year, but I now know some of my best friends, you know, are in their mid thirties and so many people take non-traditional routes, which is Mm -hmm. the beauty of medical school, I think. And just like believing that you can change career paths at any time. So I had the one gap year where during that, I, my senior year of college. I put in those applications in the spring. And then I went home, I scribed in my local emergency department, kind of finished up secondaries, did interviews. Once I kind of knew that Loyola was it in my heart, I (laughs) said, Hey, I'm going to go travel. We're good. Oh my God. Amazing. (laughs) Yeah. And so it was just that one year. And then I and then I started, yeah, that following fall. So wow, it was so exciting for you. So yeah, now take us through your decision to pursue family medicine as a specialty. There's so many choices. So uh, <laughs> what drew you to that? 
Well, yeah, I think actually that's one of the reasons is there are so many choices. How do you choose? Why not mm-hmm. choose them all? And I think for me, I laugh because I never thought family medicine. I'm like, <laughs> oh gosh, Monday through Friday, nine to five job, like outpatient clinic. And I am beyond obsessed with family medicine. I did not figure it out like really know until the end of my third year Mm -hmm. until I saw everything right I think there's so much pressure even to know before you start medical school because everyone's like oh well I'm gonna need specific research in that thing and I'm gonna need to find my mentors and it's like oh my gosh then we miss the beauty of medical school of third year where this is probably the first and the last time that you will ever see a baby delivered or ever see a burn surgery or Mm -hmm. ever do this or that. And so you get the opportunity to really see what you love. And it is a bummer that there are pressures, no doubt to know early on and there's benefits to that. But (laughs) I did not know. And third year was a little stressful because of that. I was like, what do I, I love it all. Right. And then, yeah. course, when I thought I knew at the end of third year, I had neurology as my final rotation and I ended up loving neurology. <laughs> oh my gosh, no, should I switch? But I think every rotation will just teach you something about yourself and it'll guide you. But for me, family medicine, it's, I want to be with people all day. I want to know my patients and have continuity. And yeah, I guess we can talk about the medicine stuff, but I want to talk about more than that in their lives. And It was really, people say, you know, surgery or not surgery or inpatient, like sick patients, not sick patients. I think it's a lot more than that. I think it's like, who are you? Who Mm -hmm. do you want to be inside and outside of medicine? For me, family medicine also allows me to to just be my giggly self and also have my own family and do my other passions like music and travel and things like that. So that was like a huge awakening where I'm like, whoa, 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 you don't go through all of this to not be happy. And so you've got to figure out what allows you to be fulfilled as a human being. We are humans. We are not just doctors. And so that was really, it all just kind of came together. I'm like, whoa, family is exactly what I want to do with the rest of my career. (laughs) That's so well put. I think especially when you're in medical school, you get stuck in this rut that like, you're allowing you being a doctor or medical student to define your whole being. And yeah, to be able to find a specialty that fits into your life as opposed to takes over your life, I think is just such a beautiful thing. Oh, yeah. You know, they say, One of my favorite phrases, I actually heard it on the interview trail this past fall or or winter. But from womb to tomb, you know, like that is family. And it's, we don't exclude any type of population, at least Mm -hmm. family medicine that I want to practice, especially in the community setting and regardless of, you know, insurance and and all that. But it's like the demographics, like you're pregnant, I can have you. I can have you as a kid, then you get pregnant, then I have you and your kid. And then it's the whole family lineage. And it's absolutely totally rad and I'm biased and I know that but I have to put a plug for it of course so for sure and I think it's so cool too because with family medicine there is an ability to specialize if you decide that you want to go into something a little bit more specific and narrow your focus there's so many specialties definitely and actually I'm glad you brought that up because 
I was really torn between, and I think it's pretty common, internal medicine versus family medicine. Like specifically for internal medicine, I loved oncology. Throughout Mm -hmm. my whole third year, I saw bits of oncology in each rotation. And I was like, well, yeah, in order to do that, I have to do internal medicine. So there are some things. It's like if you have an inkling of cardiology, pulmonology, anything like that, you really got to consider and do internal medicine. But it ended up for me just being that I loved the patients in oncology and the relationships. And bottom line is that, yes, you're right. Family medicine offers some really cool, unique specialties or fellowships And they're usually only one year, anything from substance abuse to geriatrics to adolescent medicine and uh, sports medicine is a huge one. A lot of people think like the doc they're seeing for their orthopedic problem is an orthopedic, an orthopedist or an orthopedic surgeon. But a lot of the times they're your sports med doc and they actually did family medicine to get there. So it's endless. And I don't know if I see, I think why I love family is I want to do full spectrum. Um, and be in a setting where I still will do prenatal, postnatal care, and I could deliver if I want, um, Mm -hmm. and do a little bit of sports and do you're going to see it all every day. There's lots of opportunities. Yeah, lots of things to love. But is there anything that you dislike about this field? Yeah, that's I love that's the best question. And for anyone listening in any type of interview, or when you're asking medical students ask, you know, always like, what are the negatives? Trust me, we could talk about them. But for family medicine, something that I know, just personally, for me, I'm gonna have to have like an internal monitor on is boundaries. This is not something that I hate. It's actually something that I love, but I will need to know how close should I get with my patients and when should I say no? Cause I yeah. have a hard time just wanting to do it all. And, and, you know, you go to that nth degree for that patient, but you also have to take care of yourself and know that, Hey, I want to go home for dinner and see my family that I hope to have one day and all of that. But that is just something just more of a personal fear, I guess, per se, just something that I know is going to be hard, but something that, oh boy, I am not going to like, I hate paperwork and technology and all this stuff. So let's be (laughs) honest, family medicine is not just medicine. You are the social worker. You're the case manager. Mm -hmm. You are the insurance provider because you're, you're going to get asked all those questions that It's bound to happen. We do not have a a system here, unfortunately, in the U.S. that's set up for people to understand what the heck is going on. And so there is a lot of non-medicine that is happening. I do love that part. You can't do it without it, but that's going to limit your patient care. And that's another, you know, fear. There's ways to get around it, having your private practice where you can have your 45 minute to an hour appointments, but Otherwise, you're going to be restricted to kind of in the outpatient setting, 15 minute appointments. And you've got to try to do medicine that time. But how can you prescribe this medication if they can't afford it? And you've got to figure out all these things. So it's a really cool and unique thing and powerful thing. But that and putting in pre-authorizations and paperwork for medications is going to be very, very annoying. <laughs> Most definitely. I really hope that by the time that you finish your residency, it's a little bit better when you go into practice, because I think there does need to be a dramatic shift in the way we practice healthcare here in the United States. It's just so it sucks out the joy you have out of medicine, having all of this paperwork. My boyfriend is a second year internal medicine resident. And he's often told me like, 
I see my patients on my 14 hour workday for like 15 minutes a day. The rest of the time I'm sitting at my desk, typing up, calling up consults, like putting in orders. And it's just, it takes away from what you need is like that human connection, right? Yeah, it's mind blowing. And I second what you said. I, I hope as well that some changes happen. Um, But to be honest, you know, the things that you don't like and the things that scare you will guide you to maybe what you're supposed to do. And I have never considered private practice until I was on this amazing integrative medicine elective that Loyola offered. And I made sure to do because we don't see a lot of that. And so I would see anything from homeopathy to naturopathy to uh, Chinese medicine, acupuncture. And the thing is, is that a lot of these physicians, I was going out into the community and they have their own private practice in order to do that. And then they have hour long appointments. I mean, wow. So even though I have no business mind at all, I can maybe find a friend that can help. Yeah. You know, or you find a little group or something like that. So it's almost just my fears and the negatives are kind of, I think, going to end up guiding me. But we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it sounds like you want to practice at the community level, not necessarily, you know, an academic, massive academic center. So a private practice isn't out of the realm of possibility. And especially like you said, like if you get a group of physicians together, maybe a single one of you doesn't have a business mindset, but you know, a couple of you, you can piece it together. Definitely. And I think that's it. It's like always teamwork and it's finding everyone's strengths and interests and I've always, again, thought like, yeah, academia, because that's like, I'm always asking the questions. But what is so, the terminology is very confusing because we try to separate academic family medicine programs from community Mm -hmm. where really in a community setting, oh my gosh, we at Long Beach Memorial, perfect example. It's why I love it. I mean, a cool thing that I could end up doing is being a physician there, being on faculty, teaching residents. We still get med students to go there. Mm-hmm. So it's very much, I mean, all of this is academic. It's all teaching. But yes, you're right. Like our definition kind of of the true academic would be more, you know, trying to get the research in mm-hmm. and, and all of that as well. And so I do think as long as, you know, a private practice means that we're still accepting anyone that comes in the door, as long as they're nice, that's my one rule, (laughs) is that they smile at me, then we're good to go. I don't care, you know, about the other stuff. But um, I know that's also naive of me to say, I mean, insurance in the the US definitely plays a burden on, on a lot of things. But yeah, that's the big fear. I think when people hear private practice, even with me is like, oh, it's going to be the expensive appointments and it's like she, she and like all of that. But I'd like to see it in a different way eventually. So for sure. And I think you can work with as a physician in private practice, I think you can work with insurance companies in order to kind of secure that. Medicaid is a little bit, Medicaid, Medicare is a little bit more tricky. Yeah, but I I actually went to, he's now retired, but I had a family med doc who was in a private practice with a couple other doctors and they actually accepted Medicare patients. So you can figure it out. Amazing. Amazing. (laughs) Yeah. So now I just wanted to ask you, what are some stereotypes or assumptions about your specialty that you often hear? (laughs) Yeah. So I think the first thing, oh yeah, this is a great one. I believed this too. It's outpatient. Heck no, it is not. I mean, 
You can also, speaking of what you can do with family medicine, there are certain residency programs you can leave after your three years and you do so much inpatient and specifically intensive care training. You can go be an intensivist for goodness sake. So wow. it actually, and I saw that on the interview trail um, for a few programs in California and you can tailor, you know, your rotations to do more of that stuff. So that being said, you can be just as much an inpatient physician as outpatient. And I think it would be very fun to mix it up. And maybe once a month, I have a weekend on the inpatient service or a whole week on the inpatient service. I think that would really, I mean, it keeps you fresh in a different way. Inpatient is definitely different than outpatient, but they both complement each other. And so that's one, I think, misconception. Also, Yeah, stereotype is, oh, I'm going to be just sitting at my desk or something all day. I think (laughs) literally you're the busiest in the outpatient clinic. Oh my gosh, you're running and you're doing a skin biopsy there. And then you're going to go ultrasound the fetal heart rate in that room. And then you're going to go do mental health stuff there. Like it's not boring, but it can get, I think that reputation of being, oh, just like, you know, chill and boring and monotonous. And I will tell you, holy smokes. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, yeah, like the paperwork, the logistics, but also I think something a stereotype, but also that might deter people is like, and it's something that I will enjoy doing and have kind of already started. But when you're a family and people know your family, like your own family and your friends, they know you know a little bit about everything. So you're going to get the questions like, oh, mm-hmm. I have this coming out of my arm today. Or I have this <laughs> and so it is something to, you know, be aware of. And I think it's a true stereotype for sure. But no, it, it can be something that family medicine is known for, for sure. And, you know, I think, and again, this is something that In medicine in general, I'm not fond of scores and accolades and things forcing somebody into a certain specialty. And I think one of the biggest stereotypes, and yeah, by the numbers, it's true. It's the quote unquote easiest specialty, right? People will dual apply sometimes to their competitive, the one they really want and family medicine as a backup. So Mm -hmm. those are the words I hate to hear. Oh, it's the easy, it's the backup. It's the second choice because really who you want in family medicine are people that truly want that and are passionate because those are your friends to the patients. You know, those are the family to the patients. And so, but yeah, based on, if you look at stats, of course, those are the lowest test scores. Those are like, okay, well, I didn't do so well. So now I can't do what I really love. I'll do family medicine. Neither side wants that. The the person doesn't and the student doesn't either. And I think there are some good changes being made with, you know, pass fail on step. And so we'll see where it all goes, but the amount of work, effort, tears, dark circles under their eyes that med yeah. put into med school, you should be 100% matching, okay? Yeah. You should always have a spot and, and you should be doing what you love because you've worked so hard. And so, yeah. And I think this is why you will be so wonderful. I know you don't like to... Um talk too much about yourself and your scores, but I think uh, our classmates can attest to the fact that you are an exceptional student, right? And the fact that you probably could have matched into any field that you wanted regarding the score thing and just the way that you approached medicine in general, but you chose family medicine, right? And that is what will make you an excellent family medicine physician. I'm so happy for you. Like, 
I'm so excited for your patients. Your patients are going to love you. They're going to be so grateful. You're just going to excel. It's going to be wonderful. Thank you. So to talk a little bit about matching into the field. So what did you do? You know, I mean, we just talked about it not being a super competitive specialty. However, a little birdie tells me that perhaps you only apply to California schools, which (laughs) tends to be a very competitive state. (laughs) So how did you make yourself a competitive applicant? For matching into family medicine. So yes, the really pigeoning myself into California was my goal for wellness. I was like, I am not having any regrets. Now the thing is, is yes, it is, especially in other fields too, where like in med peds, there's like a few programs. I mean, on one hand, mm-hmm. right? So California, it doesn't matter where you're from. A lot of people want to go there. The cool thing with family medicine is there's probably over, I'm going to butcher the number, but like a hundred programs. There's so many programs. So I do believe regardless of your scores, you can just apply to California if you wanted to in family, you just would apply to maybe more programs. You know, I going into applying to schools, I really looked and researched them beforehand just whether it was the location, what they stood for, their tracks, their programs, the student bios. I loved it when there were jokes on the residents, you know, pages. I'm like, mm-hmm. All right, I can hang with them. Like there are little things that you'll find out like matter to you. And I really applied only to programs that I, if I got an interview, I would be passionately saying, I want to go here now. Because yes, maybe I went into it having some higher scores and stuff. And so because of that, I could do fewer programs. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, you know, my phrase going through all this, because I still felt, I kid you not, the night before match day, I'm having palpitations. I did not sleep. Oh my God. You never know. And my phrase was like, you're never safe, you know, (laughs) until you have it in your hand. Like same thing, you know, with graduation where like you do the graduation, we're finding out that at the end of it, we still have to go and sign for our diploma. It's like, you're never free, like until you have it in your hand. And so it really, I mean, as as good of an applicant as you are, I've seen it where it doesn't work out, even though your scores would tell you they should be matching in their number one. And so, but yeah, basically for being the candidate that you want to be, there are many factors, but that's also the beauty of it. So say your step score isn't what you think it should be. You've got not only your first two years of whether your school's pass fail or not, or has grades, but your clinical years and your grades there, you've got your Dean's letter. You've got the individual comments from your clinical instructors during your third and fourth year. You've got letters of rec. You've got all these things. And so I will say, like, I think, I don't know, I want to go to a program that would rather read the comments from people and like what people think of you than like the schools. So I really did make sure that my letters of rec, even if it wasn't in the you know, like for family, you got to get your one family, but maybe a lot of people would do two. And then also like a peds or OB because they're kind of similar and intertwined. But it's like, I got one from neurology because I just loved that experience. And I ended up playing music on the neuro rotation. And it was like, bottom line, the person is what matters. Someone that can talk about you. And I don't know what my, you know, interviewers read or, or didn't read, but I would just advise, you know, that 
don't think that a letter writer is the wrong one because of the field. If they know you and can and bat for you, I think that's really important. And then, you know, just kind of having everything together, being timely and knowing your deadlines. And then again, you know, I, some schools didn't even require step two scores. A lot of my classmates um, hadn't even taken it before interviews started. So there's lots of variation, but Oh yeah. Oh, so something that's very, I still wonder like if this deterred programs or attracted them where with your activities, the big question uh-huh. is, do you do bullets or do you write paragraph? <laughs> you know me, I'm a paragraph person. Oh, yeah. So I'm like, I gotta be me and I've got to throw my jokes in there and whatever. It's like, if you are trying to show yourself to someone on paper just no regrets, you know, show your personality. And at the end of the day, I don't think one thing on your application was the reason that you didn't get something or you did. And people were very hard on ourselves for that. But yeah, those are just a few of the things that I think might not be the first things people think about in their application. It's usually the scores and all of that. But honestly, the people that know you in the comments and the dialogue, I think is great. So just, you know, be nice and a good person. I think your Dean's letter and your letters of rec will be just fine. (laughs) Great advice. So you kind of touched a little bit on the clinical rotations. And you know, that's kind of where you can get someone to write a letter of recommendation for you also have like your grades for it and the comments. So how do you stand out on clinical rotations? Third year and I had a love-hate relationship. I, <laughs> I think that, and it's just very troubling because you know the effort, the early mornings, late nights, the chart checking, the fifth time that you've seen that patient of the day going in and doing all that. You know how much you've put into the rotation. And I will tell you, more than half the time that is never seen because in, say, a four-week rotation – You might have a different faculty rotating each week. You might be getting your evaluation from someone on the last day. And oh my gosh, they're a whole different doctor that you've worked Mm -hmm. with for the past three, four weeks. This happens all the time. And it baffles me. It's like, how am I going to be asking? So in that sense, I think very important to maybe be proactive and like kind of know, okay, who should I ask my eval for? A lot of people, how they phrase it is, They try to find out who's the easy evaluator. That was never me. Some people actually choose like a rotation site because they know the eval will be easier. Now, I don't blame any individual. I think that's a systemic issue because the pressure is put on us, right? But I think that that is something that is very troubling of third year is your grades. The clinical grades are very subjective, but you do have for your total grade, the thing you do have control over is your exam, which should be 50-50 with those things. So, you know, just keeping up with your studying. So standing out, yes, perform decent on that exam, but on your clinical rotations, I think being on time, huge, huge for just that mutual respect with your team being a good teammate, I really think that that comes across. And then being with your patients, because as a med student, what do we really know? You know, <laughs> what are what? we really doing there? <laughs> we don't know much. So what we can do, though, is do all the yeah, maybe it's the grunt work, but mm-hmm. it's not you're not being goody two shoes. You're doing something that is very important, which might be faxing that paper or getting the patient water or doing those yeah. things. like It's the little things that I will tell you more than half the time don't get seen, but 
at the end of the day, I think it'll come through. And you never know, the residents might be telling the docs that are writing your evaluation, hey, you know, we really liked working with so-and-so. And I think they're at the point where it's like the hidden rule where there's always going to be like a presentation or something for every rotation. And it's hilarious because you're like, when are they going to ask me to do it? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know, looking up fun facts here and there, just always kind of trying to be on your toes and have something prepared for when questions get asked, etc. But the patient care, I think is a huge way you can stand out because at the end of the day, Knowing your patient, probably what they did for their last reunion with their partner might end up being the the best thing that you do for the team. So, yeah, and make friends with the nurses. Yes, yeah, (laughs) always, always. (laughs) Oh, fantastic. So, what's the most important piece of advice you'd give for people who are trying to match into family medicine? Number one, want to be a family medicine physician. Seriously, I'm just going to harp on it. You are equally between, say, orthopedics and family medicine, then yes, dual apply for sure. I think there's also a bad rap about dual applying, but I really think, you know what? No, you haven't gone through all this to not do what you might love. If you have a few things, for sure, for sure, do it. But do what you want to do. And so I can only hope that People that are going into family medicine are truly passionate about it. The other thing, what program will allow you to become the physician, the human being that you want to be as a doctor? And Mm -hmm. I think, again, I'm biased, but I think that is particularly pertinent in family medicine because you're like a life friend, coach, you know, yes, we're, and I used to use the term too, we're healers, but we're really teachers. Mm-hmm. Patients, us, we heal ourselves. And so you've got to know that you're going to be a person for your patients. And what program is going to allow you to prosper into just the person you want to be? That means it's the location does matter, that environment, what's going to keep you sane and able to do this for a while. And then, of course, it always goes down to the people. But For family medicine, if you're someone that doesn't know what they want to do, but you like a little bit of everything, you like kids, you like pregnant patients, you (laughs) like old patients, and you have a hard time letting go of any of that, then it's the way to go. And remember that inpatient is not ruled out at all. You can be doing a mix of that for a very long time. I know plenty of residents that I met on the interview trail that were third years that are going to go be hospitalists and do pure inpatient from family medicine. So that's great advice. So speaking of staying well, one of the things that you like to do to stay well is play some music. And you're uh, quite the artist there, having now your own cult following, I believe. Um, <laughs> so Kendall, can you talk a little bit about your you know, budding music career and how perhaps you'll continue to incorporate it during your time as a doctor? Yeah, you're too nice. Me and my 800 followers on Instagram. I am so much just love for this medical community and the friends I've made here and the people from my past and family and everyone that have supported me through this. You know, I think music for me, it's always just been something fun. Never really a job. Yes, I've done some paid gigs or whatnot, but open mics are my jam. I love going. I love playing a couple songs being done. I love 
hanging out with just the musician crowd. You know, I always joke, I'm like, oh gosh, I hate med students. <laughs> but no, it's it's really what I mean by that is having that life outside of medicine and interacting with different humans. And music has been my expressive outlet for quite some time. Um, and I think it really is through the songwriting that I've been able to release a lot of my emotions. And so it wasn't until after all this time, I mean, I just looked at my notes the other day and I have probably around 75 songs written that I've played over the years. And yet this past January was the first time I got into a studio and I started to record. And so I did release finally my first single, Slow My Mind Down, on April 1st. And it's so good. It's just, it is so calming. Gosh, darn. That's the thing is like, just like in medicine, you know, in music. Okay, so what's the thing that people care about? It's like stream count and all this stuff. And like, oh my gosh, blah, blah. No, if my song touched one person and I got the feedback you just gave me, it's calming, it relaxes me, boom, that's enough. After releasing this, so that in itself was a beautiful experience, very challenging as well, just learning the business side of music and helping to produce my own song. And it was so cool. And like, Mm -hmm. whoa, learning something other than medicine. Like, I'm like, what is this life? Now I want to like, get all the the tech stuff to start doing my own production, which would save a lot of money and time down the road. But something that came out of this, I do want to touch on was About a day after it was released, a med student, a second year from Stritch, had reached out, was like, oh, we should collab sometime. Like, I love your song. And I was like, well, what about on on Slow My Mind? And he's like, the one that just came out? (laughs) Like, are you sure? And I I think, you know, we can all be honest about it. Musicians are selfish. We want to play all our stuff. We want to get up on stage and do our things. But I'm like, oh, my gosh, this just, I feel like I just won a million bucks, the fact that you want to clap it. And he, you know, had expressed to me that, you know, he worries like sometimes I feel like I can't do both. And I'm like, no, you can and you should. And it'll only make you connect with people more. And so he did a little collab with me on the song. And it was awesome. He was like up during the weekend, like, oh, no, this version is amazing. That is the point. Music is the universal language. I firmly believe that it is meant for human connection. And if I can reach people with my music. That's all I could ask. Because for me, of course, trust me, I have my emotions and it has a different meaning for me than it will for everyone else. And that's the cool part. So yes, music has kept me sane. It also allows for making friends in in medicine too, that are musically inclined. And wow, it is healing and it's medicine. And I want to do use it in, you know, I wouldn't be an actual certified music therapist. That's actually a very, I was looking into it. It requires a lot of training and an actual degree, but I want to and plan to, as I already have in several rotations and in like a homeless shelter and things like that, I want to use music as specifically mental health, really in suicide prevention and all of that. But I think that music therapy has wonders. I mean, not a lot of side effects. So maybe I'll have a little music therapy clinic, just some guitars in my office and be like, okay, I'm just going to leave you alone in here. You have some time. But again, we can even expand it, right? Art therapy. Do you draw? What is your way of 
calming down? How do you escape? Mm -hmm. How do, when do you stop thinking, you know? And for me, it's when I'm playing music, all I can think about is the guitar, the song, the, the songwriting. So yeah. Slowing your mind. Yes. Slow my mind down. There you go. So where can people listen to your hit single and hopefully more to come soon? Yeah. So Slow My Mind Down is out. Basically, whatever streaming platform you do use. I mean, I think the most common is Spotify, but it's there. My artist's name is Kendall, all capital letters, K-E-N-D-A-L-L. So it was released April 1st. Actually, this week on Wednesday, May 11th, we're releasing the music video. And that was... Oh my God. So excited to see it. Yeah, that was a whole experience in itself. I mean, come on. Like, when else am I going to have time to do that? Yeah. Fourth year med school, you know, once you match, I guess you just kind of go crazy. But another beautiful part of this whole song release and the music video was just all these friends I have made in school, just hanging out at the climbing gym, whatever it was, you find out about people's artistic passions. And we were able to just like combine so many people, whether it was our classmate, Christina, doing my makeup and wardrobe or Mike doing photo shoots or these friends I have made in Chicago, Julia and, and Austin that have been producers and videographers of this film. I mean, so that's been such a cool takeaway from this. And I know going into residency, I'll probably just be like maybe releasing the song, not as much promo, not a right. video, but you know, you only live once. So <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And we'll definitely put all of this in the show notes too. So people can go and easily access your work. That's amazing. Oh, well, thank you. And I think no matter what it is, just always trying to find time for yourself in your day, even if it's five minutes and figuring out really working hard to figure out what is the thing that calms me and allows me to be somewhere else. I think that's really important. I have a couple more songs that are in the production stage. They've we've been working on them. So excited for those, maybe, maybe a release in July, maybe one a couple You heard out. it here first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so uh, so we got some things rolling. I, I wanted to be proactive, you know, starting residency July 1st, you're like, oh boy, so. Oh boy, indeed, amazing. So to wrap up, do you have any general advice for pre-med or current medical students as they move through their training? Yeah, I think biggest general advice is make sure this is what you want to do. And not a influence from what you think you should do or your family did or no matter what, if it's not what you love, you'll figure it out through this process because it is hard and grueling. I mean, I'm speaking to someone that's literally doing MD, PhD. She's phenomenal, crazy. I mean, you think about how does someone survive doing that? our med school, it's because we do love it. You will have those reminders of whether it's for me, it was actually being on the admissions committee and doing interviews where you're like, oh my gosh, wait, I do love this because you're talking about it and you see the optimism and the excitement from then pre-meds coming in. So just make sure and self, you know, reflect and ask yourself, okay, is this what I want to do? Because you know what? There is always a way out and you have people around you to support you whether you continue with it or you decide, hey, maybe it's not for me. And even if you finish med school, you could go to business administration. Right? Oh, or yeah. Residency. There's so many options. It's endless. Be a consultant. Yeah, there's so many options with an MD. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and just take care of yourself. You're not alone ever. And something that has also kept me sane is 
the joking around with your fellow med students. There are few <laughs> people in your life that are going to understand the days that you have and the interactions. Right. <laughs> I mean, you've got to still giggle. And again, I think we even have lectures in like our bioethics about like, is humor okay in medicine? Well, yes, it is. But again, there's times for it. You know, it might be home with a glass of wine or something with your friend. Yeah. Take a breath and sometimes don't take yourself too seriously and surround yourself by the people that love you and will support you. And that's going to allow you to keep going. You yourself have to be well in order to take care of others. Wholeheartedly believe that. So make sure it's what you want to do and then make sure that you have those releases and people around you that will allow you to do what you want to do. Amazing. So what's the best way for people to reach you if they have any questions? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I think I owe answers to anybody in the world for the amount of questions I've asked in my life. (laughs) I would say email. Now in that sense, I think our Loyola one goes away. We get cut off. So I have my Gmail, which would be the best. And it's my full name, all lowercase Kendall Frizzoli at gmail.com. I really am responsive. I, well, you know, I was a little less responsive my five weeks uh, abroad that I was just on. <laughs> uh, we're back and in, in on the technology. So <laughs> amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Kendall. I'm so excited to follow your journey as both a physician and a musician and, you know, see what you continue to give to the world because you are just an amazing, brilliant, giving human being and so privileged to know you. Well, I second that for you, Rasa. Thank you for just wanting to talk with me tonight. And I, a little bird told me that MD stands for music doctor. So I love it. <laughs> that's what we're going to be. You know what? No more MD, DO, whatever. Let's just all just practice medicine, you know, and be open to this journey ahead. And thank you. Thank you for your time. Thanks for listening to this episode. This wouldn't be possible without the support from our listeners. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We appreciate donations to help fund the production of this podcast. To support us, go to medicuspodcast.com, where you can additionally find show notes, links, and information about our guests. We are at Medicus Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have any questions, comments, or episode suggestions, please submit them on our website. This podcast is intended for general information purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine. No patient-doctor relation is formed, and the content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Views and opinions are their own and do not represent any organization.